My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. temple builders who sailed the Atlantic in search of refuge and fortune, leaving a trail of temporal tells and talismans across the American template, straight into the continent's heart, their Turtle Island treasure trove. They declared this a new world, these men of old, and they carried with them an ancient knowledge that seems to be only recently rediscovered by scientists. And today, thanks to pioneers like our guest Dan Winter, who graduated with honors from the University of Detroit and worked as a systems analyst with IBM as well as a metallurgist and crystallographer. Dan studied at the Gurdjieff School alongside Buckminster Fuller and you can find his wide-spanning work at fractalfield.com along with goldenmean.info, therapy.net, and fractalu.com. Thanks to today's guest, all of this is being made available for free online. I'm Mystic Mark. You're listening to the My Family Think Some Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Dan Winter. It's only in that geometry compression does the phase velocity add multi-recursively constructively. And that turns that geometry of compression, which is called fractal, into acceleration of charge towards center, which is named the gravity. So now, unlike Einstein, Stephen Hawking, and NASA, you know why objects fall to the ground, because you get charge acceleration towards center. Charge acceleration, as Einstein proved, there's no experiment that could differentiate acceleration from gravity. You just learned why objects fall to the ground. Your physics, physics teacher was embarrassed when your five-year-old asked and he had no answer. Now you can answer. It's important, because that's the same reason that consciousness exists. The physics is clear. Those who think physical is separate from the spiritual, they have a problem with schizophrenia, first of all. <laughs> but because what is, what we have been calling spiritual is literally only the coherence of the longitudinal array around a biologic plasma body, which is, has the feature of being able to compress. Well, that's that's what that's what the immortality is. That's the bottom of the cop. So we like to joke, the reason mummy powder was served in every pharmacy in Europe for 300 years <laughs> 
Originally, we thought those Egyptians were eating a lot of gold powder, but actually, that ain't quite the. Actually, the dielectric constant of the natron in the mummy was implosive enough to alchemically transmute flesh into a rhodium iridium ormes amulet, literally a form of gold powder. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And with me today, I'm very excited to have someone who's doing some very advanced research, talking about centripetal force, vortexes, golden means, phi ratios, and so much more, folks. We might even learn how to make rain. Dan Winters, how are you today, sir? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Dan, it's really a pleasure to have you on the show. I don't want to delay anymore because we have some really deep topics to get into. So without further ado, would you mind giving maybe the folks in the audience who haven't heard of you before a quick brief 101 on on what you do and, and where you come from? Yeah, a lot of people know me. My name is Dan Winter, fractalfield.com, theimploder.com, flameandmind.com, therify.net. My background, uh, psychophysiology, University of Detroit, systems analyst, IBM, been teaching the physics of consciousness for 30 years. And now we do the technology of implosion in water, theimploder.com, and in brainwaves for bliss, flameandmind.com. And now our plasma rejuvenation uh, tech therify.net is in use in like 25 countries. And, uh, and now we've just invented gravity and we can tell you why objects fall to the ground. If you'd like to know, <laughs> we're into the, some of the high tech stuff. It's all based on fractality that fractality creates implosion electrically. And that's the origin of negentropy and self-organization and life force and all kinds of cool stuff. Wow. You just hit us with a lot of information. Let's start with gravity, because I think that most people have a sort of Newtonian misnomer about gravity that you, uh, over the past few years, have expanded farther past that idea uh, by leaps and bounds. Am I am I correct in that? Yes, well, it, it's clear Einstein uh, and, and the leading physicists agree that non-destructive charge collapse is the solution to gravity and the unified field. And it used at least people like Einstein, NASA and Stephen Hawking's were conscientious enough to be embarrassed that they don't have a clue why objects fall to the ground. But unfortunately, if you don't know why objects fall to the ground, you can't know the origin of life force or uh, neg entropy or uh, the cause the, the cause of propulsion or all the good stuff or even the way through death. It's all about implosive black hole non-destructive compression, literally a fractalfield.com. So once you understand why anything is centripetal, then you can understand why everything is centripetal, like gravity, life force, and literally consciousness itself. Mm -hmm. Consciousness is a plasma vortex tornado that forms inside your head centripetally. And when your brain waves indicate compression, that's when it happens. That's how kids would see without their eyes. And that's exactly and measurably what you take with you when you lucid dream and when you die, that coherence. So understanding the centripetal force of gravity is step 101 to learning everything I'm talking about. Mm. Now, Let's let's try to simplify this. How can we, for folks sitting at home listening to the audio, visualize centripetal force? Can we think of something like a, a, a shape, like a maybe a vortex kind of shape, a donut kind of shape? What, what would you say for that? 
<laughs> well, I have a bunch of toys and slides handy, but my handy little donuts are out of it. So imagine this is Victor Schauberger's piezoelectrically doped, which means a rock powder, in the water vortex. Now, Schauberger's water vortex is spinning away, and suddenly it spontaneously gets colder, called negentropy. And at that moment, when it spontaneously gets colder, it begins making voltage from gravity. It's literally a zero-point energy device. And then the implosion, that centripetal force of charge, because the water vortex becomes piezo, because of the rock powder, then uh, th the angle of the centripetal force, the converging momentum at the throat of the vortex, and we even know the idealized angle for the throat of that vortex, 76 degree, the Russian pyramid angle, makes the perfect vortex. So as that charge is coming down the throat of that vortex, if it implodes, it converges at the center at an accurate angle, then that centripetal inertia will drive the charge that's in, in this at the center, which is normally a transverse electromagnetic field, which is up and down, will drive or implode out the center what's called a longitudinal electromagnetic, sometimes called scalar, mm. which is a compressional component of the electrical field. And not many people know that Bearden proved by equation that that longitudinal wave, the scalar interferometry, that is the stuff of gravity waves. So literally, that is how fractality, that implosion, pushes out at the center of that pine cone, a longitudinal wave, which is actually the physics of propulsion. So that's literally, for example, if that were a mercury vortex doped with iron powder, that's how Vimana, Nazi, Bell, Hanabu flew, and then they had the Nazi dark fleet. And then if you take that as a, into a piezo quartz crystal, that's called warp propulsion as opposed to impulse, and you'd have a phase conjugate pump wave in the sides of that piezo crystal the dilithium crystals in Star Trek, actually, and that's warp propulsion. So the last two videos on our video channel, a detailed presentation of the physics of Star Trek future, uh, youtube.com slash Dan Winter Fractal Field. So we're deep into that. If you want more detail, we got it. Slides, whatever you like. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, folks, please. The links are all in the description. So at any point, if you want to pause and check out some of these videos to sort of brush up on what we're talking about. You do a great job, Dan, of explaining it. And uh, well, the, the physics in detail, fractalfield.com slash conjugate gravity. And you have the physics published physics article mm -hmm. of how fractality causes gravity. Many physicists already agree that fractality is the cause of gravity. Unfortunately, that never occurred to them to discuss what is a fractal electric field. So I wrote the equation to prove Planck times whole number multiplies the golden ratio, that hydrogen is fractal. So the reason hydrogen makes gravity, it is it is fractal. And I wrote the equations to prove it. Planck, which is the musical key signature of the universe, times whole number multiples of golden ratio equals hydrogen radii, meaning hydrogen is literally a rose. And that's why and how it makes gravity. Hello, that is the smoking gun. Right. Wow. So let's parse that out a little bit. Hydrogen is a fractal. Now, when you absolutely when you say hydrogen, prove it. Now, yes, when, when you say hydrogen is a rose, yep. let's 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 
build a, a bridge between those two ideas? How, how does that make sense for people who are just sort of wrapping their head around that fra- hydrogen is a fractal? How do we then jump to it, it is a rose? Is it is it the relationship <laughs> that hydrogen has with uh, these fractals and the fractals that creates sort of a five-petaled like rose? Are we going to do pictures here? That could be really fun. <laughs> uh, please, yeah. Feel free to share your screen. Uh, let's see. Star Trek future. Okay. Okay. So, um this is the effective geometry of hydrogen. So if you take the center of that pine cone as the Planck length, the musical key signature of every wave that physics had ever, ever measured, and then multiply that by powers of golden ratio, you get the, the radii of hydrogen. Let's see. Here we are. Okay. So these are the radii of hydrogen here on the left. And this is Planck, LP, times whole number exponents of golden ratio, super precisely the radii of hydrogen, meaning hydrogen looks like this. See on the right, R2, R3? Yes. That is a rose. Yes. That is exactly the reason hydrogen makes gravity. So in that top-down view, golden ratio is enabling the waves of charge to add and multiply recursively, constructively. And that implosion of charge in the center of hydrogen, proving that it's fractal, is also the is also the way in which hydrogen makes gravity. Effectively, in that rose petal geometry, let's see, we have a lot of pictures of Now, could it, also be, could it also be said that hydrogen, because of this force, the way it acts, creates the sort of blueprint for a rose to look the way it looks and we're sort of just seeing it in reverse like microcosm and macrocosm identifying the sacred geometry of the rose and seeing its larger implications in the sort of uh you know subtle realms of our reality well um when i say a rose what i'm referring to is an electrical metaphor for perfect charge wave fractality so mm. it, it is a very precise metaphor that if, that if i animate that geometry i've got so many pictures here. i have too many pictures here but if, if there's a side view of that rose um but if you if you take the top down view of that rose which is actually on the right there see that that's the side and top down view mm-hmm. and that's that it basically is five ten spirals of the golden mean which I proved is a structure of hydrogen, but it's also the structure of every living protein, especially DNA. So that is fractality perfected, for which a rose is the perfect metaphor. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's uncanny well, there how... It there we are. So that's right top left there. There you have it. So if that's the top-down view of hydrogen, by equation... What's happening is the waves are adding and multiplying recursively, constructively, not just their wavelength, but the phase velocity. So that means only in that geometry compression does the phase velocity add and multiply recursively, constructively. And that turns that geometry of compression, which is called fractal, into acceleration of charge towards center, which is named the gravity. So now, unlike Einstein, Stephen Hawking, and NASA, you know why objects fall to the ground, because you get charge acceleration towards center. Charge acceleration, as Einstein proved, there's no experiment that could differentiate acceleration from gravity. Wow. Wow. So let that soak in, folks. <laughs> you just learned why objects fall to the ground. Your physics, physics teacher was embarrassed when your five-year-old asked and he had no answer. Now you can answer. 
It's important because that's the same reason that consciousness exists. That's the reason a seed germinates, and that's what makes sacred space. And if you understand that, you can take something through death. It's very important. Right. Well, and it's almost like, you know, uh, invisible container, so to speak. I mean, our consciousness would seemingly float away without this gravity. And maybe that's what's going on during uh, out-of-body experiences and astral projections. Uh, exactly. But And we'd like to be a lot more electrical engineering about that. If you interview the medical doctors who just came back from their near-death experience, and they describe where they were in the room when they were outside your body, you learn a few things like you cannot be outside your body in a metal box. Nope. <laughs> because what you take with you when you remote view astral travel near death and at death is a plasma tornado, which dies inside metal boxes. <gasps> Are your kids going to a metal school? It's a disaster. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll all of our infrastructure seems to be replaced by metal and steel, you know, steel being primary. Yeah. And, and yeah. so that's, that introduces the physics of biologic architecture, bioarchitects.net. And so the physics of the way we determine which architects should get a paycheck. And this is now a movement that's going global is we take that building and we measure the low frequency capacitance and we predict by measurement which building, because it's centripetal, will cause a seed to grow and your child. And that's how we determine which architect should get a paycheck. Now, it turns out if you made that building of steel and aluminum, the seed's going to die. And the architect should also, because that's called biofeedback, actually. <laughs> so once you know what life force is, you would never put steel and aluminum in a building if you could help it, because the dielectric constant is wrong. That's why if you sleep in a building made of all biologic material, you can dream and survive death. Wow. Now, I wonder what that says about... Uh... The houses I've lived in, I've I've had no problem dreaming in my past house and this house. So maybe I'm I'm doing all right. But what about well, it, the theory? Would be, for example, if the roof was metal, mm. it's less uh, less able to for dreaming propagation because it's the dielectric constant that gets you. Well, and and that's where I wanted to ask you because. You know, I recently had a architect on the show who builds these very um, you know, beautiful structures that are certainly in tune with the theory you just shared. And uh, I know he's probably well aware of a lot of these concepts, but um, when it comes to the landscape itself, one thing that this architect taught me was that there are paramagnetic landscapes and there are diamagnetic landscapes. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with, let's say, the potential for a building to blossom this seed, right? If we're building out of materials that are um, in in concert, in harmony with the surrounding landscape, does that uh, multiply the effect? That's a very appropriate question, and it brings us to the electrical engineering, which is very useful. So, first of all, I was referring to something called dielectric constant, which is charge distribution efficiency for a capacitor. So, most material that have at one time been alive, like limestone and natural fabric and, uh, and wood, uh, the molecules have 
rejoined the geometry called fractal because they love that club because it enables distribution of charge. So most everything that was once alive has this higher dielectric constant, means it can breathe the charge of your aura, the Kaaba, as it were, and enable lucid dreaming. Now, parallel to that you bring up, which is very useful, is actually Professor Phil Callahan, with whom I worked for many years, who emphasized that paramagnetic, diamagnetic. And one of the simplest ways to think about that is I was actually in Wells in UK once recently. Well, it was a while back. And the cathedral there is made of sandstone. That is diamagnetic. And I must say, when you go in that cathedral, in terms of emotion, it's dead. <laughs> Whereas if you go in a cathedral made of limestone, your hair stands up, man. Okay. So see, paramagnetic means it is coherently conductive to magnetic lines. Diamagnetic means it will tend to break up magnetic lines. Obviously, sandstone is more fractionated. So that's an example. So what Callahan did was he, you know, he's going down the Amazon and realizes that he needs to predict in advance which tribe are headhunters. So he measures whether the soil is paramagnetic or diamagnetic, whether it conduct magnetic flux. And if the soil can conduct magnetic flux, the natives in the next village are going to be friendly. If the soil cannot conduct magnetic flux, diamagnetic, then the natives in the next village are going to be headhunters. And that became the physics of how you teach peacemaking. Peacemaking is charges, so Ireland, Yugoslavia, they, Israel, they actually prove that when the magnetic line between village A and village B breaks, that's when war breaks out. They predicted, they measured it, it works. And when you restore the water table and the magnetic lines, Peace breaks out. <laughs> Peaceuniversity.net. So the whole science of peacemaking is based on the entropy of the fractality of permissive magnetics. Incredible. Wow. And and I did want to get along to bringing up ley lines at some point. I think we're already here. What is the, the connection between ley lines and that uh, magnetic line you just described? Is that just another term, maybe a more common term for the same phenomena? Well, remember, there's uh, several different kinds of magnetic rivers in the planet. Mm. Uh, the, the strictly classic magnetic line, uh, the example I would give is when Rev was setting up the Rev mirror, which is a metal tube microwave coherent, and you got military quality telepathy across the planet, uh, you could only put it where the magnetic line crossed. That's a DC magnetic flux, magnetic line. And they specified in nanoteslas, <laughs> you, you measure it, and then you find out where you're going to get military-grade telepathy at the magnetic line cross. So that is a longitudinal coherence, which is the physics of telepathy. So that is a classic magnetic line. Now you have the Hartman, Peyre, Curry. Uh, these are lines which have an AC component whose frequency uh, actually... Um, our friend uh, describes in, a, in our article on this, Stefan Cardino, the leading geobiology school of the planet, which is all the frequencies, et cetera, goldenmean.info slash geobiology. So you have the AC and the DC components. But the simple physics is, and this is maybe the simplest way to think about it. The reason the pyramid builders, which is basically the Federation and a consortium, were successful in making a very effective global wireless power grid, those pyramids, and we've measured the power spectra, it's all golden ratio times Planck. So the Schumann harmonic cascade in the piezo pyramid is a phase conjugate pump wave compressionally pumping a longitudinal into the array. So not only did they get the frequencies right, but they got the positions right 
and a longitudinal net array, which is this geometry called Star Mother Kit, Gold Mean Initial Size Kit, Stellar Dodeca. So the Earth Grid nodes that enable global wireless power and telepathy and all the magics of healing and whatever is a longitudinal array, which is fractal. So the nodes of the magnetic lines inhabit that fractal because that's where the compression can bounce in and out between the longitudinal distribution and the localized transverse, which is where you can achieve action at a distance, which is the only physics possible with only only possible with longitudinal array. So another example of magnetic lines and global wireless power grids. And incidentally, Tesla did not get any of that right. He had the frequencies wrong and he had the nodal positions wrong. Wow. Now, I like that we've brought this term up nodal point or nodal position because uh, a friend of mine who's been on this show several times, I'm almost certain he's a friend of yours too, an author named Peter Shampoo. Uh, he talks, oh yeah, sure, sure, yes. He talks a lot about uh, these. He calls, it, he calls it our comb. <laughs> right. And, and what's so fascinating about Peter's work at first for me was I had, it stuck in my mind that ley lines were these linear you know, patterns. Well, Peter elaborated that, no, these are actually three-dimensional bubbles that are sort of biomes over the landscape and certain human-made markers are built at the center points uh, and the sort of nodal points uh, around these um, biomes. And they often take a, you know, varying size, but a circular form, always circular. Well, if you if you look at the infinite stellation of Dodeca, which is the fractal of hydrogen and makes a rose, mm -hmm. which is the proven Earth grid geometry from any gravity in the world grid, which is where Peter Shampoo started. So the actual trajectory between the major compression nodes is always a straight line. However, the path between them uh, also is a the curvature which is possible electrically is a golden spiral which and the golden spiral is what he called our comb that the templars called it the rochelle grid which basically looks like a valentine and and so yes the the dome geometries are based on the unpacking of that fractal so but the actual compression path for the electric line starts with a straight line and then the the bubble that builds uh, implies the spiral the golden spiral Fascinating. Now, when you say it looks like a Valentine, do you mean like our traditional kind of heart shape that we, you know, not the shape of a human heart, but the sort of, you know, uh, anthropomorphized version of that? And, and God, do we have images of that? Well, you know, that's the, that's the classic Holy Grail science that if you rotate that spiral path towards center, I mean, too many videos here, but but you actually see that the side view of that path is is the golden spiral, but the top down view is actually um, yeah. Here, let's take. So if I play, I don't know if you can see this. It yeah. should play. Oh, there it goes. Okay. Oh yeah, we can see this. So did you see a Valentine there? I saw a Val there's Valentine. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And so and there's the spirals. Right. And and this is how that geometry enables compression because you can change scale without changing ratio. And if it's a, it really sucks. <laughs> that's implosion. And so it's called scale invariance. So that's the top-down view and I mean, it can dig out the grail hand. So it's a it's a flame that does not consume because implosion is enabled. Uh, I don't think we have the grail animation here. Right. Yeah, I've been back doing this that, for 30 years. Back to that zero point energy in a way, right? With this. Uh, the There's physics. the Templar Rochelle grid right there. Okay. Yeah. 
that is it. And there's a top and the side view. There's the grail right. animation. Not it's, quite yeah. the wide heart that we're familiar with the chocolates coming in these, you know, shapes boxes. But yeah, it's yeah. it's sort of like a more angled uh, heart shape. That's very, very fascinating. And I, I, I guarantee that's, uh, that's the more appropriate explanation for why we have this heart symbol in our uh, simple language, right? I mean, that's right. Because the, the name for the romance is the fusion that's enabled by implosive compression. I mean, to the point that literally the uh, our realheartcoherence.com tech, which enables hearts to link by measurement, is used to teach tantra. <laughs> right. Because it's literally embeddability of EKG. Well, and, and how much of what we're just witnessing there goes on in our brain? Ca- chemistry because i've heard you use the term uh brain cascade before and i'm wondering you know if if this is this type of uh sacred geometry is going on in our minds uh maybe biochemically or even electromagnetically uh, well, you know, we have been doing the brainwaves for bliss for over 20 years. Currently, our tech for that is flameinmind.com. And yeah, so here'd be some examples. So this is, uh, I think this is five harmonics in golden ratio in the EEG. This is actually me. I hear that the, the uh, delta is even stronger. than. But that's one, two, three, four, five harmonics in golden ratio. That's a, a peak uh, bliss experience moment. So the, the brain is literally making that stairway to heaven. That's the implosive stepladder. And that's flameandmind.com. And that does make uh, make bliss measurable and to some extent teachable. So this is the history of the literature of golden ratio and EEG. There's a lot of that. This is all at flameandmind.com. But the thing that's really fun then is if you if we tracked uh jean charles moyen who was repeatedly bilocating with witnesses uh it's extreme form of lucid dreaming we can trigger lucid dreams that's what therify.net plasma does among other things but in this, in his case just before he would bilocate in one eye he would see where he was and the other eye he saw where he was going and it's because of this physics, it's literally turning inside out. So, but the power spectrum of the EEG at that moment, if you see down in the bottom here, is a stairway to heaven of golden ratio and octave harmonics between alpha and gamma. And that implosive stairway is literally the physics of, this is how children see without their eyes with exactly that spectrum. And at higher amplitude, it's the physics of how a portal and a stargate works. Wow. And this brings a whole nother dimension to uh, something I've been researching, the dumbing down of our education system. And and it seems like there is a physical component to this, uh, you know, and and people are actually being um, shut off, so to speak, when they go into these buildings. And, And I wonder over time how that can constrict a person. And, you know, you multiply that by an office job and, you know, being stuck in traffic in a busy city. I mean, all of these, uh, are impacting us, huh? Well, in other words, until we need to, until we're able to teach our children what bliss is, because literally that charge implosion is the only way you get an aura coherent enough to lucid dream. And that defines who's going to take memory through death for sure. So literally it's the only form of immortality, immortality takes actually. And our term body polis means refers to the plasma of that bliss body. So the term politic biologically, for example, beehive can't swarm unless 
So the term politics, by definition, biologically means, is there collective bliss? If there is not, the tribe is not navigable. So until we can teach the biology of bliss, and the aboriginals were quite correct, you know, you do not have culture if you cannot teach your child how to have a bliss experience, period. Wow. Wow. And this is... This is, it goes without saying for a man who's done as much research as you, but I, I feel like you're sort of explaining the physics of this spiritual war that we're all in. And uh, there well, are many metaphors in fiction to kind of give us a, you know, Borg or a sort of, you know, name for these people. But it does seem like the, the ultimate goal, whoever they may be, is to shut off our soul's capacity to remember uh, yeah. after and, death. And, you know, it, we, we I've been teaching the, the mechanics of extraterrestrial history for 20 years, fractalfield.com slash fusion in the blood. But the storal to that whole Mori, whether you believe in Anki or not, doesn't matter, is if you can have a bliss experience and if you can teach the biology of bliss and understand, because that's literally what makes you star navigable, that coherence. It's called the Ba from the Ka, the Kejjan body, rainbow light body. So the, the actual electrical engineering of the coherence of the aura and that's the difference between those who have a soul and those who don't. So whether we want to call it some great, huge, evil plot or simple stupidity is also irrelevant. Mm. The fact is we need education. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it really ne necessarily needs to be chalked up to some grand, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> villain. But Either way, whatever. It's teach your kids the science of bliss, you know. Well, and It's the most un empowering science there is. Well, and this is why history, I think, has become so fascinating, at least for me, because we, we seem to have a glimpse of a time where human beings lived for uh, that as their highest intention. You know, they, the, the structures of our ancient civilization seem to have this sort of uh, physics of magic in mind built into it. I mean, I've heard you talk about pharaohs and their bodies having this sort of gold powder associated with it. Uh, I'm wondering if you can explain that a little further and maybe we can okay. elaborate on, you know, this process of death and, and reincarnation, not as a, you know, physical immortality, but as a, a spiritual one. Well, again, those who think physical is separate from the spiritual, they have a problem with schizophrenia, first of all. Mm. <laughs> but because what is what we have been calling spiritual is literally only the coherence of the longitudinal array around a biologic plasma body, which is has the feature of being able to compress. Well, that's that's what that's what the immortality is. That's the bath from the cop. So we like to joke the reason mummy powder was served in every pharmacy in Europe for 300 years. <laughs> originally, we thought those Egyptians were eating a lot of gold powder, but actually that ain't quite the, actually the dielectric constant of the natron in the mummy was implosive enough to alchemically transmute flesh into a rhodium iridium ormes emulate, literally a form of gold powder, which traces back to the physics of Osiris, who was actually Enki, who, by the way, just came back. He's in Ganymede having a lot of fun. It's quite a story. That's uh, Elena Denon. I work with her on this too, but the lesson they brought to teach at that time, you know, I was joking with uh, Graham Hank. Well, you know, I worked with Graham Hancock when I founded Gaia TV with uh, with uh, Ray, uh, 
Jay Widener. But actually, I, I sent Graham Hancock a letter lately about his ancient apocalypse. You know, every single ancient culture he bumps into or he says, suddenly they went from hunter gatherers to agriculture and it all happened when, you know, the great dryad, the great flood. And I said, you know, Quetzalcoatl, Viracocha, Osiris, uh, uh, Zoroaster, every single ancient mythological character he bumps into that he says was the magic ancient culture, every single one is another name for Anki Hermes Thoth. Hello. <laughs> it's all done with mirrors, man. <laughs> and their lesson called the Caduceus was now called phase conjugation, the origin of life force. That is hermetically sealed the lesson. Wow. Wow. So this is that alchemical secret encoded yeah. in the Caduceus. Now, to Absolutely. go back to what we were talking about with architecture and temple building, um, I heard you also say that alchemy is a sort of inherent property of these buildings, right? They, they, were, they were constructing buildings in order to uh, facilitate an alchemical process. It wasn't uh, sort of what we think of as like a laboratory experiment with beakers and different materials and chemicals. It was more uh, the, the, the physics of the, the temple itself allowed for this transmutation within the mind, within the body. Right there. So the, the, Term alchem, the L, the phase shift into chem access to a black hole as an alchemy, refers to the physics of non-destructive charge compression, which is literally the electrical answer to cold fusion. Literally, I mean, we have the equations for the isotope transition from every virtual valuable isotope transition in the atomic table. So alchemy is very good physics for non-destructive charge collapse. But how that applies to cathedral building in the sense of... Um, uh, uh, when you see the ancient cathedral have a series of carvings on the side wall called Sima Erecta or Sima Reversa, which referred to whether the Earth's plasma was directed upward or downward, turns out that those carvings, for example, on the pyramid walls, are literally microwave antennas to the point that that's how the insects nearby navigate measurably. Oh, yeah, these are microwave antennas. And that microwave implosion is part of the physics of the alchemy of ancient cathedrals. That's Fulcanelli, basically. So the design of a building, both capacitively, dimensionally, and materials-wise, is all about implosion. And that implosion which is the only real meaning of the term alchemy at all, is both, you know, it's it's piezoelectric, it's magnetic, it's microwave, it's infrasound, it's all of the above. And the geometry of that implosion is always golden ratio to Planck. So that implosion is the origin of life, and that's what makes a building a plasma projector, which is the definition of raising of the Jed, as in the Jedi and the Jed Tower. Huh. Now, I, I've never heard of a raising of the jet. Is this from the uh, sort of... You Islamic didn't follow world? Luke Skywalker when he went <laughs> underground? <laughs> I, I know it from Star Wars. I, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a, a historical... Well, the, the jet... In, in other words, and then they measured his blood for microchloridians to determine if he was a jet eye. Well, it turns out that the, the plasma in the blood... 
there's some called something else that this somatids uh, and the microzymes and we can measure it like after the jab no <laughs> so the plasma emission of the blood tells you whether you're imploding and by the way that's if you can steer the time chair at montauk and whether you're a jedi it's literally the raising of the jed now jed towers in egypt were a golden ratio cascade between the piezo capacitance of the stone but the term jed itself simply meant plasma projective which is why the ancient stone carvings of the plasma tubes is the logo for therify.net because in the bible they call it i will raise a shem unto the lord then they mistranslate the word shem to be i will raise an altar mistranslation actually it, it sitchin said high word firestone actually it is implosive capacitance there those anunnaki were their biggest complaint was they started aging catastrophically the minute they got here so what did they do they raised a shem unto the Lord. This was age-reversing implosive neg entropy. That's what those plasma tubes, they call the pyramid light bulb. It's actually the logo for therify.net for that reason. It is the physics of negentropic rejuvenation. Ajed. Wow. Now, where does the Kaaba fit into this equation? Because it seems like they're proximal. I mentioned Peter Shampoo before, and he has in his Moon Rivers book, uh, the, the Great Pyramids at Egypt and the Kaaba in this uh, sort of phi ratio relationship to one another. Well, the Kaaba story kind of starts with one of the better glass meteorites, the only metal that survived the heat of impact was gold, palladium, platinum group metals, which function, formed a foam of vaporized gold in the array of the glass meteor, later called the Kaaba stone. And all the alchemists of the day, of course, they, they were grinding up and eating it as they did in that day for immortality. And that's how the mad caliph who sold half the volume of the Kaaba stone, proven historically, went mad, actually. But then they ground that up later, and that's how John D. and Flamel both made gold and it was called the phosphor stone the, the projective powder it was a red powder and the reason is because you take that foam of gold vapor in that glass matrix that is the physics of how you make the ultimate super dielectric so a little bit of that powder and you get the temperature of the mercury correct and then if you have the phone on array and d and kelly then made the purest gold ever measured historically by the leading science of the day the british Royal Society, and that's proven. These transmit. This is not a myth. No, no, no. This is well proven history. Many transmutations, and that is a short introduction. The physics, that the catalysis for the isotope transitions was the super dielectric propagating in the matrix, and there was a wetting agent smothered involved. So that that was the cotton. Later it was called Lucifer's eye. Well, <laughs> you know, you rotate around in a certain direction around the Kaaba because the implosive capacitance serves as a center of the vortex. Unfortunately, we believe that this had then at that time was infected by the the uh, the 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 black goo. It's a sort of another story, but there's a carbon nanomaterial which is also used by the bad guys, which is that's another story. Well, and I do want to hear more about that, but as we're on this point of the, you know, Kaaba and this, the ritual and the ceremony of rotating around it, I thought this would be a kind of uh, bridge into this larger concept. And you see it throughout 
most of human cultures this you know lighting a fire dancing in a circle around it i mean it's a pretty human thing to do i don't know if we can pin it uh, to any one culture because it seems to be universal uh do you think that this is sort of a, a more specialized version of the very same thing given that you know they're circling a meteor rather than just a uh, you know, wood burning well you know ancient tribes in their trance dance uh, they had one thing that uh, most modern religious rituals don't, which was astral hygiene. <laughs> so here's the ancient tribe. They're dancing around the fire and they're going into bliss and trance. And then the voices of the ancestor shows up. And this is tremendous survival value. However, the strong intent by every member of the extended family that the only plasma going to be allowed to do this phone call will be our ancestors. Very strong, focused intent. That's called astral hygiene. And that means none of the bad ghosts get to make phone calls. Hello. <laughs> so where's the astral hygiene in our modern rituals? There's a problem. Well, and and that's, how, that's how the Grays and the Dracos got in here in the first place, basically, is bad astral hygiene. Well, and, and does it start with rituals like the kind John D was uh, messing around with? I mean, we often hear people in the sort of maybe more fundamentalist Christian camp of conspiracy say, oh, D summoned demons and the world's never been the same since. Uh, I mean, is there some well, truth? Michael to that? Sarian says that about D specifically. Right, right. right. And, and he brings up some very interesting points. You know, Vincent Bridges who clearly had the memories of Kelly said, I had the memories of D. Well, am I defensive about this? No, I think John D did have some astral hygiene problems. Absolutely. But there's so much instructive here. First, remember, John D is studying scintillation as a way to phone ancestors, the same way the Olmec used high dielectric stone. So the an ancestors would appear in that stone, which later was an obsidian mirror. It's basically a phase conjugate mm -hmm. mirror, the same coding Nostradamus used. So, that point of phase conjugation enables embedding in the longitudinal array, and that is the physics of ancestor memory, clearly. And can you do that with astral hygiene? Well, I don't think actually John D. had that level of discrimination. No. You know, he and Kelly exchanged wives because these dummies said get promiscuous. That is a classic <laughs> indicator of bad astral hygiene, actually. So, you know, John D. was absolutely a genius, incredible progress. But some of the points that Michael Sarian makes about John D. actually are useful food for thought. You know, mm. I, these people are not like evil, but not understanding that all interstellar plasma beings are the good guys. That would be step number one. <laughs> right, right, right. That's like assuming every animal in the jungle is your yeah. friend, right? Well, and so then when they use the Ophanum Enochian alphabet from John D to make the movie Stargate, essentially the plasma convergence point of that is those hypercube letters. Uh, it becomes a stargate because that's the implosion point through into the longitudinal array where you get that acceleration. And the astral hygiene to use a stargate portal, <laughs> that is some advanced stuff. Mm. And clearly the Montauk Philadelphia people got that wrong. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, I will say one day uh, I was probably 17 or 18 years old. I go into a uh, witchy type tarot card reading shop and I find an obsidian mirror and Mr. 
winter, I'll tell you, I had an experience of bliss staring into that mirror. I don't know. I mean, you, you know, the sensation, I'm sure people listening have felt this sort of like time speeding up or, or even like, how long was I just staring at that, that kind of feeling? Well, I got that when I looked at this obsidian mirror. And uh, although I wasn't doing a sophisticated ritual, I wonder, you know, is there a potential with an object like that uh, to leave a seed behind in someone's mind or, or, or cause a change that uh, could affect them later on in life and maybe not necessarily know it was that uh, obsidian mirror that did that? You know, in order to think about the astral hygiene of using obsidian mirrors for ancestor phone calls, which is John D's showstone and the coating and Nostradamus cup, uh, it's important to understand a bit about the physics of how a phase conjugate mirror enables ancestral communication. So what the Aboriginals called the songline dreaming track, which is the the railroad of uh, the road of ancestor memory is actually specifically a longitudinal array of nodal points. So Professor Karatka follows the Kogi to where they make phone calls to ancestors. And every time they only go to the place where air is fractal, namely harmonic inclusive, where that's a compression node enabling, fo enabling phone calls, impedance matching to that longitudinal array, sometimes called heaven, plains of Sharon. Uh, or Champs-Élysées. So the, those nodes, access to those nodes is ancestral memory. That's why the Cozy Rev mirror worked. But normally you use natural biological nodes to achieve that, and you're closer to astral hygiene. When you use externalized mechanism of projection, the externalized mirror, for example, that's when you need to understand astral hygiene a little bit better, because presumably even in... Uh, you know, in John, it is said that John D. and Kelly's uh, showstone, their black stone mirror, uh, was actually originally Aztec. And that had been used in families doing human sacrifice. And so clearly there was some messy astral hygiene in there that I don't think D. and Kelly understood. Yeah, absolutely. And you see this sort of uh, <laughs> worsen or become more extreme with figures like uh, Aleister Crowley and maybe even uh, some some serial killers that have become famous over the past few years. Not that I'm an expert in that, but I do want to bring up uh, Cozy Rev mirrors because... You know, we don't trust Wikipedia around here for everything. They, they're technically a, a good source of information, but we find often that that's not the case. And I'm reading here that it says the Cozy Rev mirror is made out of long sheets of aluminum. Is that an error, maybe a, a, a intentional sort of error put in there to throw people off? Because, I, you know, given what we were talking about, aluminum and steel before, it doesn't sound like it would be a good material to use in this type of device. I would say it was not biologic. There were clear limitations. However, the very specific delimited diameter achieved strong microwave coherence. Now, advanced people understand a little bit of the microwave physics of telepathy. For example, the 1.91 angstrom of adenosine diphosphate, the most important molecule in the body, actually you can use that frequency to measure kundalini up the spine and history of trauma. So, you know, the microwave guide physics is not just insect navigation, as Callahan talked, but it is literally the physics of bliss. So that strong tuned microwave, and now we, we know we could 
tune the diameters of those cozy rev mirrors a lot better than cozy rev now that we understand how to tune to Planck. But that was a very powerful embedding into the microwave array. So there was some function there. Okay, and I'm I'm still sort of unclear on what the cozy rev mirror is actually made of. Is well, they that... called it a mirror, but it's in fact a metal cylinder. Okay. And the metal cylinder focused the microwave. And if you did that on the nodal array, remember, that's the same nodal array that Bruce Cathy proved dramatic reduction in nuclear critical mass and the cozy rev proved is the physics of telepathy. So that was a way of microwave embedding in the fractal nodal array of the Earth. It's literally the pin prick of moxibustion on a global scale. I mean, it was powerful. It's. I'm not saying steel aluminum is always evil, but I'm saying from that point, you could ride that microwave. Absolutely, yes. Now, could you have done it, uh, uh, let's say, uh, more blissfully in a biologic dielectric? Probably, absolutely, yes. But if you understood how to do the microwave tuning to conjugate, you know, you'd, you'd need some skill. Absolutely. Okay, now I'm starting to to understand a little bit better. Now back to, you, you mentioned Nostradamus's cup. I had never heard that it had a, a certain specific quality. Yeah, well, that's it. another secret that came from Vincent <laughs> Bridges. He, he, he learned that in Torino. Nostradamus learned that in Torino. It's the coating on the bottom. See, the water in the cup mm -hmm. approximates a phase conjugate mirror, but on the bottom coating, like literally a mirror on the bottom of the cup, you need a super dielectric material. Hello. In those days, they didn't know what barium strontium titanate was, you know, Allison barium titanate land. No. So this was a secret at that time. And Nostradamus learned to put a coating on the Bible. Absolutely. That is a history doesn't know. But our people who remembered those lifetimes, Vincent Bridges, <laughs> the Nostradamus, Nostradamus was sitting on Vincent Bridges shoulders when he was starring in a dozen History Channel episodes on Nostradamus. <laughs> it's a scream, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Nostradamus is often uh, brought up in the same conversation as, you know, the end of the world, Armageddon, this sort of prophet of destruction or doom. Well, um, the other key, key point there is that Nostradamus was regularly weeping for those who, whose pain he saw. That is an important point. So what actually sucked the future to him was empathy. The same definition, who, who could steer the time chair at Montauk, it's called a time empath. That is the implosion that gives you leverage. Now, that empathy, you know, is there a chance that, you know, given what the observer effect tells us, uh, maybe Nostradamus was projecting his, you know, perspective from his lifetime onto uh, this vision of the future, maybe seeing uh, the re sort of resonant aspects of the future, maybe because he was coming from that uh, dark age, empathetic perspective, he saw things that resembled that in the future. Like he called Hitler, Hister, for example. Well, and the further you go forward in time, the more the fractionation of timelines makes those visions uh, let's say multivalent. Mm. <laughs> so it, it's a very tr tricky procedure. But if you have that great coherence, then you can, you know, you can penetrate into the future. Certain if remember most of what we call time travel, as has been measured in physics, is time reversal, which we now know is defined only by negentropy, meaning 
Although physics has measured time reversal, they can measure how you can turn rusted steel into unrusted, but you cannot do the reverse. <laughs> In other words, you cannot time reverse torque disorder. Physics won't allow it. What does that tell you? First of all, you need to know that time is only a name for rate of rotation rate of spin. That's all it's a name for. So the reason time speeds up when you accelerate is just the translation vorticity. The spin rate changes. That's it. It's that simple. It, all this crap about time-space continuum is pure confusion. Mm, okay. Now, that with that in mind, what is, where does that leave us between here and the future? And, and how does, is it, is it because there's no distance? It's just a difference in frequency that we're able to see in the so-called future? Well, think about the basics here. If someone in a building has a very strong emotion, say at the time of death, there is a shadow in the longitudinal array that would make that visible from great distance. Any kind of clairvoyance or, you know, shaman could see it. Well, so that strong shadow in time, an imprint in the longitudinal array becomes a leverage point in time travel, basically strong emotions. So these, and so travel of the past and these sort of things is pretty, pretty basic. And there's, dozens of examples. But travel of the future gets much more complicated and much more, let's shall we say, multivalent. Uh, just to begin that study, think about what the Templars meant by the repair of the fabric of time, restoring the fractality. So when, you know, uh, Montauk and Philadelphia tore a rip in the fabric of time, what they meant was a rip in the fractal rose-like pattern of the Earth's aura and that's why they say too many grays and dracos got in here. Literally a tear in the fabric of the Earth's aura. And was this the result of the Philadelphia experiment and Montauk? That was one, ex one example of ripping up the fabric of time and therefore making us more susceptible to parasites, yes. What about the uh, Trinity site nuclear testing? Because there's- Exactly. Been... You're, wow. Hey, you're starting to get the logic here, aren't you? Why did all of the ETs show up immediately thereafter? Right. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and there's also, you know, I've heard you talk about uh, the creation of a golem and how there's certain implosion that comes along with that. And yeah. Michael A. Hoffman writes in his Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare that there was a uh, metal dummy at the Trinity test site that some people thought of as a, a golem or a being inside of this metal container. Now, uh, what does that sort of tell you? Well, uh, just a little bit to think about the physics of golem. Remember, the Hebrew letters are just the shadow of a plasma donut indexed by tetracubic lattice symmetry. It's the origin of Hebrew and Sanskrit. So if you hold one Hebrew letter in the optical cortex hologram at a time, very slowly, the plasma donut will form in a very specific tilt angle. And then you blow those smoke rings in sequence. That's how you build a goal. You're just blowing plasma donuts in symmetry. That's it. Now, those plasma donuts originally were pretty damn mechanical, but very high level parasites use very advanced form of that hint black goo and when these huge astral black holes show up when these stupid humans begin unraveling their own nest called nuclear <laughs> that's when the big parasites arrive it ain't good right and i'm wondering if there are sort of reverse 
things that we can do to reverse that, right? I mean, Peter Shampoo, I mentioned before, he's been on the show a few times, and one of his stated goals is to water the West, and how he plans on doing that is by uh, conducting certain ceremonies in conjunction with the placement of stones in specific spots that have a, a relationship with the atmosphere in order to create this river in the sky and rewater the west i mean can we do something akin to that with this astral rift that's opened is there a way for us to maybe create something here on the planet earth that can uh reverse those effects well exactly the right question boy you're thinking very appropriately this evening congratulations for asking the right (laughs) questions and by the way peter shampoo's intent there i think is fabulous i'm with him all the way so our website goldenmean.info slash rain for example would directly confirm exactly what he's saying so you re-steer these magnetic lines for a whole bioregion to look like a rose for example uh, Witherspoon's Sri Yantra, the size of multiple football fields with uh, paramagnetic sand in the trench. You know, they created microclimate for the whole bioregion. Man, we did that in Torino also, actually. It's all at goldenmean.info slash labyrinth, goldenmean.info slash Italian. So absolutely rainfall. In fact, when we did our lab, labyrinth ritual for our Tremurti uh, uh, in the Mediterranean conference, they had the biggest storm the next day for they had in 10 years, man. The elementals went crazy after we did that labyrinth work. And that's the key to the Brazilians who saved their village from the fire by doing our labyrinth ritual. The, the film uh, goldenmean.info slash rain. So Peter Shampoo is absolutely on the right track. And wh- while we're on the subject, I need to mention Malcolm Borgward in Perth. He figured out the reason Australia is a desert because <laughs> the the female and male shaman of every Aboriginal tribe for thousands of years have been at war with each other. That's why it's a desert, because that's straight Draco, by the way. <laughs> so he goes across the continent doing rituals to heal the men and the women tribe and huge rainstorms follow them every time. Wow. <laughs> so. It's all, it is all about healing the practicality of the land. Shampoo's got that exactly right. Yes. And as far as, yes, can we heal the nuclear? Well, I give one physics example. After Bruce Cathy proved that earth grid magnetic line cross points dramatically reduced nuclear critical mass, think about that. Like, why did the Ark of the Covenant contain radioactivity? That's what it's built for. (laughs) Then think about uh, uh, the amazing Randy, no, no, uh, uh, Andre Puharik's friend there who was famous for bending metal. But he measured that focused human attention reduces radioactivity measurably. Hello. Ingle Swan you're thinking of? Swan? uh, uh, Ingle Swan, I knew him quite well. No, I was thinking of Yuri Geller, actually. Ah, Okay, okay. But Ingle Swan's the one who who lit a flame with his mind at a distance. That's why our app is called flameinmind.com. After him, actually, the story's there. But so the point was that Bill Tiller proved in the book Conscious Acts of Creation dozens of times, focused human attention causes electric fields to implode. That's been measured dozens of ways. No scientist before me has explained why, because the plasma vortex of consciousness is implosive centripetal, hello. And that centripetal force electrically is the opposite of radioactivity by definition. I was in uh, Keshi's living room when TEPCO called him from Japan. So, oh, these nanomaterials, they reduce radioactivity. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wonderful. Yeah. And I'm really starting to get a, a better picture. I hope the audience is too. Uh, but it feels almost like we're, uh, you know, these living beings, you know, in this environment that's been, uh, let's say, muted for lack let's of a say, better term. Let's say fractionated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, people would hear this. Maybe they haven't had the, you know, background that you or I have, you know, me just being interested in all this stuff and you clearly doing, you know, years and years of research, but the average person on the street, right? Not uh, accustomed to any of this type of stuff. They're going to immediately doubt it, right? Because maybe they've been, uh, affected by it and, and they just haven't known. They haven't realized that their their world has been shut off and the magic they, they could have experienced has been, uh, I don't know, hidden from them. It, ha- it hasn't been removed, but it's been hidden from them. What, what do you say to people like that? This is the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. So we have people who listen who, you know. <laughs> My they- family thinks I'm crazy. No. Uh, <laughs> actually, you're, you're right, though. Yeah, I learned something. I've taught groups of physicists and advanced cardiologists many times, and I learned one very simple thing that works great. So you you, you gather them, in the, you know, they're all there in the room, and they say, well, who here remembers having had a bliss experience? Please raise your hand. Okay, now those people go to one side of the room, and the rest go to the other side of the room, and now you know how to talk to them. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> See, because once they realize that implosive charge is the only path to immortality, suddenly, you know, they can follow their bliss. They can hear the story. And those who haven't, about the only thing you can do for them is suggest a little bit of the hygiene to get started on following your bliss. You know, when somebody has their own source of bliss, obviously they have their own source of charge. And that is the first day they are not a parasite. Now, do you think our religions used to have this astral hygiene inherent in the teachings and somehow this has all been removed? What do you think? Is there a historical marker for this event? Well, you know, my prejudice here is go back to the E.T. story. It was Enki versus Enlil. So Enlil wanted slaves, Mm. you know, later called Yahweh. That doesn't speak well for the Jews. Sorry, Uh, Enki. Well, he wanted he was an artist. He wanted his genetic experiment to be a vaccine for the Orion Wars. The Orion Wars was the Draco had lost their long term memory. And so had the Anunnaki. Long term memory is defined as insolment. Insolment is defined as do you have coherence in the longitudinal array outside your body? Otherwise, there will be nothing after death. So that is the physics of why you must follow your bliss. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it's fascinating to hear this story has just sort of repeated itself and it all goes back to this major event. I mean, this is why looking at all these ancient structures around the planet for me is very fascinating because I feel like whatever my intuition has been pushing me towards, there are clues in that. And I'm not alone, obviously, in that instinct. But uh, when we look at the pyramids, you know, we've talked a lot about them. You can learn so much. But there are even lesser known examples of this, like the Olmec heads. You you write about the Olmec heads on implosiongroup.com. And uh, I'm wondering what we can sort of learn about the, the composition of these Olmec heads and maybe what their, their purpose is and why they're in the positions they're in. 
Yeah, apparently the Olmec were quite willing to walk 60 miles and carry multi-ton stones because the local stones had the wrong dielectric. What does that tell you? They wanted their ancestors to appear in those stones. Looking for the picture. Uh, so it's the same reason the Sekhmet shows up. You can see the eyes glow. Those statues were super dielectric where the plasma of ancestors could inhabit. Look at that. I even found the picture. I'm good. <laughs> so there's the black obsidian mirror. There's the old Olmec stone heads. They're super dielectric material. And that's what allowed the Im embedding of the plasma longitudinal coherence, which they called ancestor memory. It's physics, man. Right. Right. And it's so fascinating to see the parallels in uh, the Aztec and Mayan cultures and the Egyptian cultures. You know, we, we often with the modern sort of ignorance chalked that up to syncretism on the part of the people who went and recorded the oral traditions. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think what we're looking at is uh, a global civilization that we've been sort of given this illusion of separation, fractal, fractal, fractionization. Just remember, every one of these tribes has the equivalent of a tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Viracocha, Quetzalcoatl legend. Every one of these tribes. And who was that? That was Enki's science partner, Hermes. And why did he wander around to every ancient indigenous tribe? <laughs> you know, after you walk the same magnetic line for a thousand generations, that magnetic line becomes a family pet. <laughs> so the storm goes a thousand miles across Australia when Auntie Lorraine dies. So here, why was Hermes and Enki so interested in these indigenous tribes, huh, they were studying the physics of who's going to get a soul. Ooh. So every one of the tribes that Graham Hancock goes to look at, he discovers another version of Enki Hermes and says, somebody was teaching them something. Who was it? <laughs> now we know. Right, right, right. Well, and there's an equally, uh, enigmatic figure that we don't have to go too far into history to learn about this uh shakespeare who you write about uh being involved with john d and edward kelly can we talk a little bit about this guy and who shakespeare may have actually been yeah so shakespeare um referred to uh, no uh kelly and d's notebook uh, Shakespeare was named, uh, I'll think of it here. Francis it was, Garland. Yes. Fr Francis Garland. Uh, thank you. And so, um, every time the character Shakespeare disappears from history for a few months, suddenly Garland shows up in D's notebook. What a coincidence. Uh, it was Teresa Burns who did that study. It's very elaborately proven. <laughs> so, and so Shakespeare is there. He's he's watching Dee and Kelly make this gold. And then he writes, uh, you know, Sorcerer's Apprentice and all these stories. Uh, and uh, so later when Shakespeare did all those plays, even his knowledge of the paths of royalty between Italy and, and Prague, et cetera, Rudolph's whole court was based on alchemy. Um, basically, uh, well, the most significant example I can think of at the moment that might be helpful is the cube octa symmetry of the Shakespearean theater. Uh, if you track the plays, the thing in which we will capture the conscience of the king. Uh, in fact, each character in the play goes through a sequence of emotions where 
everyone identifies with one emotion from this angle. And then you see the next character with that emotion from a different angle. And uh, because it's cubic symmetry, that's called phase conjugate, uh, that creates something called the possibility of consumed perspective, e pluribus unum, literally, which means the reason, and everybody knows Shakespeare is only about alchemy fundamentally. The alchemy is that at the end of the play, everyone suddenly identifies with every character as if they were one with them. Why? Because of the fusion of that precise symmetry, both of emotion and angle of perspective. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Thank you for elaborating on that. And you, you do have a lot more information on all of this on your website. The links are in the description, but rectalfield.com uh, slash alchemy of fusion. Right. And I do want to just focus on the name Francis Garland because it seems Garland is a sort of, uh, well, because a garland of roses was King Rudolph's symbol for everything spirit. He carried the famous painting across the mountains of the garland of roses. So the garland brothers, it sort of like bend over and rolled over, but they were all the garden garland brothers in those days. So John D's notebook is a scream. Ah, okay. I see. Yeah. And, and I did find something here that says garland, uh, that... There's a day called Garland's Day, and it was tradition on that day that a rough bell or beehive-shaped wooden framework would be tied with bunches of garden flowers. And I find that fascinating because the beehive symbol appears over and over again. And I'm wondering what we can learn from the physics well, they, of bees. I, I think Lawrence Gardner and Genesis of the Grail Kings got that right. The Merovay as in the Merovingian symbol was the busy bees and the physics is in the harvest of nectar is in fact the harvest of bliss you know a hummingbird crashes in the window when she has bliss even though the house is sealed because the infrared gets through so there's the steiner school teaching the children how to visualize a rose and the test for success if the room fills with the smell of roses that's infrared man <laughs> wow wow yeah and we see this bee symbol over and over again even the freemasons use the the beehive symbol is there something about the hexagrammal yeah. nature to a beehive well yes but it, it is the again the body polis mm. the reason the beehive cannot swarm without the presence of the royal blood is navigation. Right. And uh, the implosion that's called royal blood is effectively access to bliss. So, you know, when the Draco, uh, they, they couldn't put Humpty together again, even though all the king's horses and all the king's men, well, Humpty Dumpty was the royal families of Europe for a thousand years played with like they were show dogs because they were trying to make a soul. That's what Genesis of the Grail Kings really means. And that soul is effectively the ability to make a collective bliss plasma cocoon, which makes a gene pool navigable, leading there to leading the gene pool to a new home in the sun. You can't steer a gene pool to a collective dream, lucid dream together unless and that's nectar, man. Now, is this is this the goal of esoteric monarchy to sort of create this like collective bliss state by being the like uh, externalized uh, compartmental bliss of the whole, you know, species, so to speak? Well, <laughs> according to Lawrence Gardner or Anton Parks, to do you believe the original reason the Draco it, we used to call God is. Uh, 
invented royalty was because they couldn't stand the sound of these damn humans copulating at night. <laughs> so it was a little less romantic originally. <laughs> but but the subtle intention behind Genesis of the Grail Kings was, you know, these were the, the royal families were simply babysitters who were supposed to relay the instructions of God. In this case, it was Enlil. <laughs> so originally it didn't start out quite that romantic, but the the quote unquote unconscious impulse behind the reason the Anunnaki were called fallen was specifically because of that lost long-term memory, which indicates loss of soul. So when the Anunnaki, and the, really the Nebu, the Greys and the Drex, did the abductions after the Greyata Treaty, 90% of the abductions had some indigenous blood. Why? They were lucid dreamers. Why? Because they walked barefoot in the same land. And so that was what they needed. That was the DNA recipe. And that is actually the basically the only thing valuable, really valuable on this planet. You know, they don't buy and sell. They like our beer, but most, mostly what they buy and sell on 10,000 humanoid cultures in this galactic sector. The value is DNA. That's what they trade. And DNA that has a soul, man, <laughs> right. that's the value. Wow. That's what, so the meaning of royal blood was, and Humpty Dumpty, you know, the egg's broken. <laughs> we couldn't make a kid with a soul. Oh, dear. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's incredible. So they're looking for the lucid dreamers, man. Yeah, no. that Study that physics. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's new to me, and I'm really fascinated to, to take that new rabbit hole to its depths, but I want to. So when therapy.net, mm -hmm. when you see, we regularly trigger lucid dreams, that lucidity is the plasma implosion that allows us to project coherently longitudinally into that array. And so that's what enables you to propagate in the dream and at death. Right. Now let's talk about that a little more. Uh, if I go to therapy.net, will I experience a lucid dream hypothetically in the next few months if I make it a regular practice to go here? Uh, you know, it, we, we're not going to make claims. What I can say is Paul uh, attempted some rough statistics on this, and we believe approximately 30%, particularly of women who uh, uh, use Therify a couple times, have a, some sharpening of vision. We talked about the physics of that at length. And B, have some bliss experience. Right. Now, the actual lady who wrote the big article on lucid dreaming at therapy.net in the blog uh, is quite an advanced shaman. I have to be honest with you. I mean, she had amazing lucid dream triggers. And, th and this has been replicated, but it, it's not for Everybody doesn't get lucid dream right away. But that's why... You know, it, it, using the plasma is useful and fun and worth an experiment, and I recommend it. But I'm not saying you need that in order to. No, no, no I'm of not course. saying. That. And I should no. be, I should be clear. It's a device that you place an order for, and you have it in your home. Is this, uh, is this something you would use daily, or? Um... Well, you can, you okay. can. I, I mean, like with me, I have too much uh, Kundalini, so I don't use it. I use it when I need it. Mm. Like when I had uh, COVID two years ago, it helped tremendously. For right. me, actually, but I don't use no, don't use it every day. But then what I was going to say about lucid dreaming is, 
you become aware of where you sleep, how you align yourself magnetically. You keep a dream. I mean, there's dozens of books on how to lucid dreaming. It's good. But now there's new scientific articles showing the frequencies they use to trigger lucid dreaming. And guess what? My equation works. It's so cool. It's all at the lucid dreaming blog at therapy.net. So, you know, the, the physics is proven. And I'm not saying you need our gadget. I'm just saying our gadget is a helpful proof of principle. Wonderful. Yeah, no. And uh, it is it is something that I think people are struggling with in these modern settings. If you live in a city, if you live possibly in a building that has a, you know, some sort of metal components that might. Be... And lots of electrosmog and oh, my God. Right, right. So, yeah, it yeah. does. It does seem like, you know, if you can't move out into the middle of nowhere like some of us, then, you know, you, you, you might want to think about an option like that. But I do want to sort of shift gears a little bit. You, you mentioned hydrogen before and uh, now that we're on the topic of these devices, I have a really interesting device called the AquaCure that was sent to me by George Wiseman, and it sort of creates this Brown's gas, which is a form of, uh, you know, hydrogen that you can breathe in. You can also bubble it in water and drink it. And uh, yeah, a lot of people have experienced wonderful health benefits because this hydrogen for the most part has been uh, stripped from our food and the way that we would have normally got this hydrogen through our food is 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 made harder due to you know the microbiome of our gut being you know significantly reduced and all these other effects exactly. yeah well no it's it's true that our best therapy centers now are often using hydrogen nanobubblers, both for bathing and drinking. And the synergy with therapy implosive plasma is wonderful. Wow. It's clear. And the expensive spas in Japan all have hydrogen nanobubbles, again, bathing and drinking. The physics is clear. The hydrogen in its nanostate is just like gold powder in its nanostate. It's access to implosive fractality. So that's why it's synergetic. It is gorgeous. Wow. Some of the devices are a little expensive, but hydrogen nano is absolutely useful I, and it's a synergy with what we're doing both the imploder.com and therapy.net you add hydrogen nanobubbles is wonderful right right and i'm glad you're able to sort of elaborate on that we've had george on the show and he told us all about it but it's cool to hear this from your perspective now on the point of water you know it seems that our water has been uh you know, at least in education, we've been taught that water is one thing when clearly it's not. There are thousands of states of water. I mean, obviously, fresh and salt water are what most people think of, but there, there are a variety of states of water. And um, I'm curious about, you know, this conversation of energy and fractality, if there is a uh, difference between someone who lives their life for the most part on land and then maybe somebody who goes out and lives at sea like uh historically have people noticed uh differences there i mean are there different uh properties of the ocean than there are the land that you can sort of notice through this these physics that you're uh an expert in well first let me comment um you know the many states of water that the relationship between water in its normal tetracubic ice array versus water when it's most sacred, which is called a clathrate cage. A clathrate cage looks exactly like this. And the analog is perfect. Carbon in its normal tetracubic diamond, if you give it the spark, it becomes fullerenes, the hottest subject in modern chemistry, would look exactly like this. The difference in both cases is 
a phase conjugate array, literally implosive fractality. So clathrate waters, obviously, is a result of spin density. And we do some of that at theimploder.com. So that's one thing. The next thing in terms of, you know, living on or traveling on the water, I think that book, Psychonavigation, is instructive about how you could use lucid dreaming to navigate ocean spaces, the, the Maori, all that sort of the Polynesians could obviously psychonavigate, which is an extension of the psychonavigations of the Templars. That And, you know, the reason the ceiling at Dendera is the best galaxy star map, thousands of years old. How do they know the geometry of the galaxy? They were good lucid dreamers, man. Mm -hmm. But if I may say, if you've ever been on a cruise, you do not get leverage on magnetic lines sleeping over water. No. The reason is simple. The aboriginals never left the place of their birth because, you know, the shaman would make a drawing of the magnetic lines of where the baby first leapt in the womb. And that'd be the title deed to the land over which that child was responsible to lucid dream, the dreaming tracks, literally to hold the land together. So that's called uh, a braxis point. The, the fractality of the place of your birth is therefore where you get maximum leverage on. And so obviously, any geobiologist will tell you, do not sleep over water, because guess what? Your plasma wants to go with that water. Mm -hmm. So every kid wants to pee when you pass a river, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I love that we get into this. You know, I did want to ask you more about water, but briefly, let's talk about this Abraxas point, because I still live in the place of my birth, my hometown. Uh -huh. And I wonder <laughs> if, if there's something to that for people out oh, there who, oh, who may feel oh. like they're missing home. <laughs> Yeah, there's an imprint in your DNA of the place of birth, Ab absolutely. And there's leverage there, particularly if the place of your birth had some real magnetic sacred space, then you got leverage. And if your grandparents were there at the moment of conception, and if it was at an equinox solstice and, 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 you know, <laughs> right. why the Agni Hosher works at sunrise, sunset, these are four-wave mixing. This is phase conjugation. Now, would it be advantageous to go and maybe visit the place of my grandparents' birth? Because I know where they were born in Canada. I mean, what would that mean for? Well, generally, if you track your lucid dreaming, you can find that the wind in there in the sails of your lucid dreaming is the yearning at the moment of death of your major ancestors. Mm. And that's the direction of the wind in your sails, really. And, you know, if the, any Aboriginal can tell you if you're not communicating with your ancestors, you, you don't have a soul, basically. So, yeah, your ancestral memory as a lineage is an indicator of the wind. Right. Wow. Now, I'm definitely rethinking my plans for tomorrow. Uh, I want to go <laughs> to the hospital where I was born, not inside, but uh, I wonder if, if hospitals themselves, these sort of modern, uh, you know, bastardizations of the the womb uh have a that's detrimental a effect. that is the yeah. tragedy do you think right there, there there's a detrimental effect there i mean oh that's a tragedy that is a, that the fact that we use hospitals for birth and death and they have some of the worst electrosmog on the planet is a tragedy of loss of soul for a whole gene pool mm. you know there's a bed at machu picchu and if you use that for birth and death man <laughs> you got a stargate so, no, it's true. And all these pictures of the magnetic cloud that looks like the body leaving the body at the moment of death, you can see the, 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 the ghost leaving the body at the moment of death, all those wonderful pictures. And there's lots of them. Guess what? Every single one of them is near a forest and not one of them is in a hospital. Hello. <laughs> right. 
Thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Let's take a moment to discuss the history that was left out of school books, sponsored by FlowBlend.com. We've all heard of Kitty Hawk and the so-called first-to-fly Wright brothers. Well, most haven't heard that 110 years earlier, George Washington witnessed a letter delivered by Jean-Pierre Blanchard, an aeronaut who, upon landing from his 15-mile airborne journey, passed that message on to George Washington's recipient. This airborne journey in a hydrogen balloon, although not technically in the same category, still does not leave the Wright brothers first to fly on a technicality. Less than three years before Kitty Hawk and the Wright brothers a German immigrant named Gustav Whitehead was experimenting with flight in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Whitehead managed to successfully man the first motorized aircraft over Long Island Sound on January 17, 1902, 23 months ahead of the Wrights. That takes balls of steel, that takes courage, and men who require courage rely on strong chews and stiff drinks. This can lead to swollen gums and sore livers. Kick nasty habits overboard and be the first to fly to new heights with FlowBlend. Go to FlowBlend.com to learn more about all of the amazing flavors and benefits of switching to FlowBlend pouches. FlowBlend contains no nicotine, tobacco, or THC. FlowBlend is made from industrial quality hemp derived CBD and comes in a variety of natural flavors. Thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Now back to the show. Right. Yeah. It's, it's makes me wonder, you know, again, like what can we do to reverse these things? Obviously not, not having our children in hospitals are imperative to, you know, spare our gener future generations of that tragedy. But, you know, for myself, someone who was born in a hospital, would it be uh, advantageous to go and put like some orgone, an orgone puck in the ground at the, you know, put you know, at the grounds of the hospital I was born, you know, maybe in the uh, the back well, you, area or something. You might get some some leverage for the spot. I mean, uh, well, first of all, orgone is a, a very good for breaking up geopathics, but useful for assembling magnetics. Useless mm. for assembling magnetics because okay. it's it basically it's a fractionating device, so, so you can break up some geopathic, but you're never going to assemble anything interesting with orgone. Uh, but the other thing is um, uh, the the place where the magnetic memories of the family have leverage is not all and not probably not even usually the hospital but there will be some place that was sacred to your ancestors which you can probably research and find and catch the wind i mean you can even heal the trauma of your ancestors by actively navigating their lucid dreams we have friends who are doing that like when we found out the Mormons were killing the Jutes, Utes, and <laughs> like, and then they denied it. So there's whole ancestor lineages that need to be healed. It's serious work. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Peter Shampoo. Uh, I'll say his uh, work in New England has really brought so much to my travels around the area and i found out that his chakra ley line goes right through the area that i was born and there's even a magnetic anomaly that i found on some map uh in the mouth of the housatonic river which is on the uh you know eastern shore of of where i am from so i'm i'm curious you know now 
where this. Oh, yeah. And Peter's wonderful. He's been, he must be almost as old as me. That's shocking. Uh, he's been at it a long time and that's wonderful. But he's close to Henry McLean there, my friend in Boston. And they track where that magnetic line from Europe actually comes in to the Boston area and where the whole right. array is fed from there. And it's a wonderful work. And you're right. All kinds of tribal ancestral memories are tied up in those magnetic maps. That's the blood of ancestors, for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, I've noticed that these very large boulders that at least at one point were probably uh, ceremonialized or, or cherished by Native groups, they've been moved, they've been put in curious places. I actually just thinking, I always see these massive boulders in front of high schools. And there's sort of like a tradition where the senior class will spray paint that boulder, you know, their class year or whatever. And it just sort of gets repainted every year. But I just thought to myself, I wonder if there was a thought there uh, about putting a certain type of boulder in a place like a school, you know, what, what, what can you say about that? Yeah, no, you you could anchor a magnetic line. If the boulder was well paramagnetic and well placed, it could become a node in a ray that could be very useful. Dolmen, uh, lots of beautiful books about, you know, how those dolmen were used for seed germination and anchors for memory points. Absolutely. I mean, the basic skill to start is to be able to make a magnetic map for yourself. Really, if if you can't walk across a strong magnetic line and feel your hair stand up, that is step one. It's like Gurdjieff saying, you can't do sacred gymnastic unless you can put feel in your baby finger. What he meant was, you know, bliss boiling your blood is what gives, makes you an antenna. Mm, right. Now, on the point of uh, my local interests, you've, you've brought up the Templars several times and they have... Uh, They've, it's been claimed that they built the Newport Tower, which is just one state over. I've never visited, but I plan on visiting. Uh, what can we learn about the Templars from this Newport Tower? Do you have anything about the, the tower? Actually, we think the Newport Tower, tower was designed by John D to mm. teach the physics of consumed perspective from the pinhole camera physics. We have a whole episode of fractalu.com if you go to the older episode at fractalu.com you'll see the lecture on the newport tower but basically when the light comes in that pinhole and makes perfect invert shadow like the ancient pinhole camera on the opposite side that design was john d placed in a location where he basically invented longitudinal navigation of his day <laughs> no that's a, quite a story it wasn't just templar Wow. So John D. Uh, visited the New World, do you think? No, but John D. was the navigator for the Elizabethan fleet. Right. <laughs> you know, there was all that lecture is by uh, it, uh, there's uh, one by um, Egan uh, at FractalU.com. That, that's how the latitude and longitude got coded into the location of the Great Pyramid and the speed of light. It's an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, but they, they were, because navigation was the way you ruled the world in those days. And the physics, if you read that book, Holy Grail Across the Atlantic, that was the beginning of when they could discover how to do longitude in addition to latitude. And that was the beginning of leverage on the planet. So it was a very profound discovery. And that's what Templars were, basically, was psychonavigators. Mm. So they, they're they the ones who found the Ark of the Covenant on the St. Michael's Island there in the Azores. Because really, the Ark of the Covenant didn't work unless it was a magnetic line, because it had to charge in order to 
contain radioactives, basically. So this was all Templar stuff. Our articles on that also are at goldenmean.info slash Bueller, B-U-E-H-L-E-R, where he did all this work on Templar navigation. Thank you. Yeah, and all those links will be in the description. So folks listening at any point, you want to pause, check that out, go back and, and look in the description. All of the links that Dan has mentioned will be there. But on the point of Templars, uh, I've heard it sort of explained like the Templars built temples on the template, right? This sort of, you know, we have this similar prefix in each word. Uh, and this template, this blueprint of energy is exactly what we've been discussing. This magnetic grid, this, uh, you know, sort of living nodal network that humans have whether instinctively or knowingly built their civilizations around. And once you start to notice or know, once you pick up, you know, the different cues and clues as to where, you know, humans have sort of uh, flourished, you can then go and discover, quote unquote, discover where the other places that humans could theoretically flourish. So this is why we're finding places like Florida have thousands of years of ancient history because there's just something about Florida, whether it's the spring water or the coquina stone. And we can probably say the same thing about certain places that seem uh, inhospitable like Phoenix, right? I mean, Phoenix is a place where it's a complete desert, but people have lived there as far back as the Hohokam, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. So we have this, uh, you know, this group of people who have a keen sense of where to look and how, you know, to, to sort of predict where a great civilization could be built. And I think we see that with a place like Phoenix, Arizona, and possibly even Los Angeles, which seems to have been built uh, for seemingly no reason. It's not a good port compared to San Francisco or San Diego. <laughs> but but it, it's a very good point you make about the Four Corners area. I think there's at least two or three very distinct Orion star maps in the U.S. Southwest Four Corners area, uh, goldenmean.info slash Orion. That's a bunch of those examples. But when Bernard of Clairvaux uh, placed the Gothic cathedrals in a detailed star map of Virgo, just having woken up from a lucid dream in which he met a black Madonna who told him, <laughs> why did they need a star map of Virgo? Well, this is a fractal on the land, the same we have star map of Draco and Angkor Wat and Orion, all over the planet. This was basically how you designed embedding for plasma projection for star inhabiting. Right. Now this Stargate of Orion, is this something that's built into the landscape or is it built in? There's dozens of them around the planet. Uh, there's star maps of Orion, not just there. I think Larry Hunter found like 300 sites on the Giza Plateau that fit the star map of Orion. Uh, some of that's at goldenmean.info slash Orion. But uh, there's three or four of them in the American Southwest. They're all over the planet. And you see, yes, Elena Danan is right that the bad guys infest the galaxy's most powerful stargate in the trapezium in Orion. Uh, but <laughs> that doesn't mean the Stargate itself is illegal. That was the best doorway in and out of here, you know, a small planet long way from downtown. So that's why you got so many star maps of Orion and Draco and Anchor Wad and the Virgo and in the Gothic cathedrals. So the, the meaning of star map there is to get leverage when you wake up in a lucid dream. That's called array embedding. 
if Osiris was really Enki, he didn't inhabit the sun, he couldn't make the Nile flood on time. Oh, my. <laughs> right. Right. And I ask because I recently found a fascinating book about Glastonbury in England, how uh, these hills and roads in Glastonbury encode the zodiacal figures. And, and a very detailed zodiac, very detailed yeah. zodiac. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, do we have this same thing going on with mounds and maybe even mountains or stones? Or is it something that was built into like the planning and zoning of cities? Well, you know, the, the map of Prague is a rose, literally. But in the case of Glastonbury, you know, there's a lot of evidence that the ancient Elohim Anunnaki is more UK than it is Israel, actually. Uh, and so there's a lot of truth in that. Even uh, Lawrence Garner says Britain means Berathon, birthplace of the Anu Anunnaki. So wow. you know, try, try to make an inhabit a star map that you could then inhabit stars was classical. If you're stuck on a small planet a long way from downtown, man, you get, you need leverage. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Wow. And and you need leverage to, to pull off things like making it rain and, and steering tornadoes. And as exactly. we sort of come yeah. to the close of this uh, incredible conversation, I really want to thank you, Dan, for sharing all of this with me. And clearly I have a lot to learn. I hope to invite you back onto the show in a few months to uh, revisit some of these ideas. But my lovely girlfriend, Tara, who has been uh, listening to a lot of your work lately, want wanted me to ask you how rainbows are made. Well, you know, in Rene Dumal's famous Sufi book, Mount Analog, you will not even see the mountain you need to climb unless you have the light of the green flash. <laughs> and we, you know, three days in Perth in a row, we saw this green flash at sunset. The physics is atmospheric. Once you know that the reason color exists is phase conjugation, it's important until you know that. So uh, fractalfield.com slash fractal photosynthesis. There is the equation proof that the reason color exists is phase conjugation, literally. Then you can understand why when Tibetan saints die, it's proven rainbows are common. The reason is because they... Uh, contribute to the centripetal charge compression that enables the atmosphere to be fractal, that enables charge distribution, enables the charge lines to converge. So pollution is the opposite of rainbows fundamentally because there has to be a center inversion point. And that's what sorts, because remember, color is only a name for the tilt angle of the photon traveling as a torus. That's what it is. Green is 90 degrees, and the angles of the photon are actually platonic. It's all at the at the web link. So that enabling of the physics of rainbows is actually very indicative of the physics of immortality. That's why there's so many beautiful myths about rainbows, because the physics behind a rainbow, that phase conjugation is the only way they happen. So the electrical stability of the atmosphere at the moment of the green flash, that's when the wavelengths differentiate according to phase angle if the atmosphere is perfectly flat because that is a phase conjugate four-wave mixing phenomena normally would only happen on a perfectly flat sea horizon at the moment of sunset. That's incredible. Now, 
Someone I've had on the show, he goes by the alias Crow Triple Seven. He's kind of famous for witnessing something that he called the lunar flare or the lunar green wave. And I'm wondering if this sort of thing, this green flash, could happen uh, on the moon, based on what you know about the moon. If if you if you research the moon, I'm not sure, but I'm just sort of leveling this question to you because you seem to have a infinite knowledge sir i mean geez this is really informative this conversation well i wouldn't say infinite i, I mean i have a prejudice <laughs> against you know the, the andromedas originally said you know who, whatever parasite stuck the moon in there we'll tow it away we'll do you a favor well actually it's hollow and metal and the opposite of conjugate and therefore you must avoid the moon if you want a seed to germinate there's the physics because when the moon becomes it's because in the sun and the earth the longitudinal ray cannot project here because it's hollow and metal and so that's why seeds won't grow hello <laughs> so the moon is you know they stuck it here because we needed atmosphere stability after the lesser dryad flood when the federation had to kick out the nabu it's a it's a long story but it is definitely hollow and metal and artificial and rings like a bell you know that so from an electrical viewpoint not too helpful however our atmosphere would pretty much be toast without it for now, temporarily. But yes, you could use it for optical, you know, refraction to a limited extent. Yes, and if the angle is on the moon, you could, you could get some conjugation at the surface if you got the four-wave mixing working. Mm, interesting. Okay, and an infinite—I should have said multifaceted—is <laughs> maybe more. Uh, you, you'd accept that, but yeah. Uh, well, don't call me late for dinner, but otherwise, I'm not worried. <laughs> Well, we hope to not make you late for dinner this evening. Uh, I do want to ask you about shamans and their ability to, let's say, control, for lack of a better term, the weather. Maybe it's more appropriately influence the weather uh, and, and how this connects to something like the practice of, uh, well, transmutation and transformation you know a lot of uh, what i've learned about shamanic lore involves uh, animal spirits and and the ability to sort of visualize yourself in an animal's consciousness is this kind of the same thing that's going on when uh, a shaman creates a, a rainbow or a rain cloud you know, I've spent a lifetime studying this, so I got stories about that. No <laughs> like the reason Tutankhamun was used by the pharaohs to control the flooding of the Nile after, you know, a couple hundred generations, the yearning of ancestors, pharaohs got fired if they couldn't make rain. So, yes, the kids would inherit the yearning. That's how Tutankhamun learned. But no, when Rolling Thunder did it, he tickled. He knew which black beetle belly to tickle. Now, at the time, he didn't know that that beetle, like the Egyptian scarab, had a nervous system which was profoundly fractal. Hello, there's the there's a clue. So, no, but I've used pine cones often for that. If you hold a pine cone correctly at the right angle and do a little, <laughs> you can tickle a cloud. Actually, if you study the physics, uh, Trevor Constable's weather engineering on the high scenes, the conic orgone capacitor which was most effective in rain making was a 60 degree cone hint the angle of this cone guess what 60 degrees between the infinite stellation of dodeci coast of dodecus so that tells you it is implosive capacity that's the fundamental principle so precipitation a child who puts a hole in the cloud is usually barefoot in the mud and happy and then when they focus in that cloud 
there the hole and the hole occurs because centripetal charge is the physics of precipitation it simply teaches the water vapor how to touch to form a droplet sometimes called the power of christos huh. wow and when you you mentioned the uh pine cone it made me think of over and over noticing these pine cone shaped uh pinnacles or finials on the top of buildings i mean over and over again you see this what do you what do you think of that even in people's lawns they have well, ornaments they, shaped they can, like they can focus the microwave but there's many meanings there remember at renle chateau the shape in which they made the gold powder wafer cake was pine cone shaped for a similar reason actually wow. <laughs> the Seltz river they use the mineral made gold powder full service city of the dead uh, <laughs> So, you know, so pine, but the, the most instructive physics there is Lawrence Edwards, fields of form, vortex of life, measuring from year to year, the tree would adjust the angle of the capacitors called seeds on the surface of the pine cone, opening and closing to modulate the amount of wattage that tree was extracting from gravity. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Well, Dan. I want to thank you for this tremendous conversation. We've covered so much ground. And like I said, I hope to have you back on in a few months to maybe go into one of these topics in detail. But uh, before we go, you've mentioned uh, several websites. I hope to collect all of those and, and put them in the description. But is there one main place you'd like to direct listeners to? Uh, anything that you're working on? Any books that you have off to offer? Uh, yeah, I think there's four or five books now at the homepage, goldenmean.info, fractalfield.com. My state-of-the-art physics really is fractalfield.com slash gravity. All the presentation, 2 million views, youtube.com slash danwinterfractalfield. So, you know, we're we're becoming a shareable wave, and we're happy to play with you. Thank you. And thank you for asking the right questions. And thank you for being young enough to do something that's great. I think you've got twinkle in your eye. I'm happy to play with you. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I hope to be inspiring people. I know uh, conversations like this one are the right charge to propel people out of the mundanity that maybe they're trapped yeah. in. It happened to me when I was just a delivery driver listening to podcasts. I'd hear a conversation like this one and be all charged up. And little did I know it was that implosive force I was generating <laughs> that rocketed me out of that lifestyle into this new one. And uh, uh, wow. And yeah. you followed your bliss. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, that's what I, I hope to encourage everyone doing. And, and cool. on that note, do you have a, a, a final thought you'd like to wrap up uh, for people? Maybe a, a word of wisdom for people who want to follow their bliss? Uh, some some advice in that realm? Well, yeah, I, I think it's important we not be discouraged with all of the messes that are happening on the planet to start thinking, oh, the bad guys are doing this and all oh, the bad guys are doing that. Well, actually, if we each do our best to help each other follow our bliss and we might start to pay attention to some wonderful things happening. Uh, frankly, for me, lots of wonderful things are happening. So let's look at it that way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's the reason I don't watch the news. And uh, here's some more confirmation not to. So with that in mind, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now.
and that is our episode with Dan Winter. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about Dan Winter, you can go to fractalfield.com, goldenmean.info, therapy.net, or fractalu.com. And he's got a lot of information in all of those places, so please do not delay. Go check that out. And while you're at it, sign up for the Patreon to get an ad-free version of the show. You may have noticed that uh, this episode had a mid-roll ad, and, you know, although that is... Uh, distressing to some people who like to get free content without ads guess what for as low as five dollars you can sign up to my patreon and get every episode ad free as well as bonus episodes and uh if we get enough people signed up on patreon well we won't need ads anymore that is the goal so please do sign up on patreon rockfin we also have the scene edition one and two available for purchase they are pdfs don't expect something to arrive in the mail no be sure to download it and take it wherever you go it's a travel guide to wherever you find yourself it's not particular to where i live or any place that i've been you could use the scene edition one travel guide to navigate your reality wherever you find yourself so Recently, Nick Hinton and I have been collaborating. We've been talking about uh, putting a new podcast together. I've also been sharing some ideas and some research. Um, speaking of shared research, Recluse invited me to go down to Rose Valley with him two weekends ago for a sort of investigation. Uh, Michael Wan joined us, and we got a tour of Thunderbird Lodge. So if you'd like to hear all about that, do sign up on the Patreon. That episode will be there very shortly, and it'll also be available on Steven Snyder's Patreon, The Farm Mach 2. So don't delay. We need your support to keep this show going. And until then, we have great sponsors to thank, like the Hit Kit. That's right. Go to hitkit.us and check out their really cool contraptions, their devices for holding lighters and joints and blunts and really whatever you're smoking you can put it in a hit kit and keep it nice and safe and sound and garrett over there at hit kit you can get in touch with him uh, on instagram or through his website for a custom order he recently sent me a really cool hit kit with the new haven seal the original new haven colony seal on it so i'm really happy about having this and being able to go on my connecticut road trips with tara and i keeping all my joints and blunts well i don't smoke joints keep my backwoods safe and sound in this little container you know we're getting in and out of cars we're going on hikes we're exploring various places and the hit kit keeps everything in one place so my pockets aren't clicking clattering uh, so yeah check it out hitkit.us anyways that's all for today's episode dan winter hell of a guy hopefully we'll get him back on the show soon there were so many more questions that i wanted to ask him i had a little camera malfunction at the beginning and uh yeah it was interesting he <clears throat> was on speaker view the whole interview uh which made for a better interview sometimes that does do it when i uh when I'm not on screen, I, I can pay attention better. So anyways, that's all. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the moment wherever you are. 
in the now. MFTIC. Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on ya Subliminal messages, hijacking perception Tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it, and the system is unraveling I'm astral traveling through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey, I embark with the squad Forever spitting truth like Mark on the pod Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers, searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade I awoke in a deep underground military base Zero recollection of how I got to this place Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders Must have been extracted when they crashed into us Animal hybrids contained in the cages A lion with the eagle head Monkeys with reptilian bases Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit All of a sudden the wall flickers away Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft My getaway, I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out Rob him for his plasma gun Hop in the ship, take the controls they highly intuitive, I figure it out easily Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel until I see the light Fly into the sky, get flanked by six F-35s Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality, looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy, you might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are we the ones who gonna expose the whole facade. <laughs>